Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. You're the first one in, last one out, and you do whatever it takes to succeed. Nonetheless, 25 million Americans have chosen the entrepreneurial life because it's equal parts demanding and fulfilling. Welcome to the People First, Then Profit podcast. Join hospitality veteran, photographer, and entrepreneur Don Mamoni each week as he hosts a candid, no-holds-barred conversation with successful business owners and entrepreneurs eager to share their professional secrets with you. Like his crazy Italian family does on Sunday nights, he's serving up a healthy portion of inspiration, motivation, and education, so I hope you're hungry. Now, here's your host, Don Mamoni. All right, everybody, welcome back to the People First, Then Profit podcast. I am joined today by Jorge Vasquez, a good friend of mine, an associate, co-founder of Amplify My Impact. And today we're going to talk about the DISC personality assessment. Hi, Jorge. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Eventful morning, but alive and kicking. I love that. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. So thank you after your active morning for being here with me this afternoon. I'm going to start by reading your bio and then you can educate me and the audience on the DISC assessment, the benefits, the drawbacks. Does that sound all right? Yep. Let's do it. Awesome. Jorge is a personal development and leadership coach, trainer, and speaker that leverages a no-nonsense approach to personal responsibility to help business owners and entrepreneurs breakthrough and create extraordinary results. As a John Maxwell certified coach and DISC certified consultant, he uses his unique style and techniques to support his clients through their journey from six to seven figures and beyond. Jorge has led one of the industry's top coaching program, Russell Brunson's Two Comma Club X, consulted multi-million dollar brands, co-author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Million Dollar Story 7, and is co-founder of Amplify My Impact. Welcome again, Jorge. Thanks for being here, buddy. Thank you for having me. Jorge, one of the things I learned first about you is uh, referenced in your bio, and that's the fact that you have a no-nonsense approach to holding people personally responsible. And I really appreciate that about you because your your co-founder of Amplify My Impact is virtually the exact opposite. She has a much softer approach. So is that something that you've always had, or is that something you developed over time? I haven't had it all the time. My, my first introduction into leadership was in elementary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up with my cousins and we were in the Boy Scouts. So that also supported and and cultivated uh, the leadership aspect. But getting into sports in elementary, I was learning a lot. I was Mm -hmm. following a lot. The fourth, fifth and sixth graders had more experience and had more playtime. But I had a lot of natural talent and I love the the games, baseball, football, basketball. Indirectly, I became team captain because my my cousin and his friends were a little bit rebellious and I was uh, following the rules and because of my skill set. So the coach made a a conscious decision to have me be the, the role model of it. And so it pushed me into that leadership position the positions i would play quarterback pitcher like the game rides heavily on those those players sure and so you know going into fourth fifth and sixth grade now i had to teach it i had to pass it along i had to be the one with the strategy with the game plan and leading the charge so from very early on it it became a part of my life and as you as a leader 
it's remarkable because you really do have to hold people accountable, right? I think it's human nature. We don't always do the best job of holding ourselves accountable. And so we look to leadership. We look to people in positions to guide us, to, to hold us accountable. So you have a way of asking a very profound question. Many people are uncomfortable in the silence that follows a profound question like that. But we often yeah. talk about how you'll ask the question and you will literally let the entire group or the person that you've asked that question of sit in silence until they have a, an opportunity to find the answer and provide you with as profound an answer almost as the question. And I don't think a lot of people are great at that. So I enjoy that about your personality. It's challenging for me. I, it was a learned trait because under that microscope, you feel the pressure, you feel, feel the, the heat mm -hmm. and it becomes un uncomfortable. So the natural tendencies for people are, are to seek out pleasure and comfort and avoid discomfort and pain. And so I too would, you know, break silence and I had to learn to not and yeah. give the moment is place. And I mean, you hear it in, in sales training, anybody that's been through a sales training that tell you, here's the script, here's what you say, here's what, and then you ask for the money. And then the first person that talks after that loses. <laughs> that's a great way of saying it. And you're right. There are times when it is so uncomfortable and so awkward. It's a learned trait. It's an art form, honestly, something I could learn from you. I, I don't know if they make me uncomfortable or I just feel like I need to jump in and, and sort of save the person or contribute. So I appreciate it about you and I'm learning. But that's, that is the, the discomfort Yeah, is in that discomfort of lack of noise or something being said, it pushes somebody to fill the space in and then eventually somebody pops. Yeah. Especially in a group dynamic is we just sit there until somebody pops. Well, you would be probably the best player of the game chicken ever because you never give way. And I, I think that's so great. And it's a personality trait. It's a learned personality trait. It's great for a leader. And today we're here to talk about something that you're much more familiar about than I am. And that's the DISC assessment. And so why don't we start, uh, jump right in. DISC is a four letter acronym and it stands for, based on our previous conversations, dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness. Correct. So talk to me about the DISC assessment, what it is, and then we can go from there. So the DISC assessment is a personality behavioral matrix. Its usefulness is, is in understanding one yourself primarily and how you operate and how you function. But also if you take a deeper dive, you'll start understanding how other people function. And at that point, you stand a stronger chance of bridging the gap between the two individuals that communication gap. So just real quick, this basically serves internally as well as externally, which is pretty interesting because so often, as we talked about earlier, sort of self-reflection or holding us accountable is, is sometimes harder. We tend to externalize, but the purpose of this assessment, it's really to learn about ourselves and how we communicate and behave, but it also allows us the opportunity to learn about the tendencies of people we're going to have relationships and communicate with. Yeah. The thing that you uh, want to keep in mind when it comes to any of these uh, behavioral matrices or personality tests or anything like that, the truth of the matter is, is people love to learn things about themselves. Mm -hmm. All right. And after taking a test like this, they'll start saying, Oh, I am a 
dominant. I am a high D. I am a an I or a high I or low I or I am and identify with it. The truth of the matter is, is that you're all of them. You're a combination of all four quadrants. You just favor one or two usually more than the others because you found success in operating that way. So it literally, it's not, when you look at the DISC assessment, it's not which ones you possess, it's to what degree or in what combination. Correct. Okay, so based on where you found success. And the benefit to knowing the matrix, as you called it, is if you understand which of the four you are, is it best that you can then operate in the ones that you're strong at? Or is it that you can strengthen the ones that you're weak at or both or neither? Both, neither, and all of it. (laughs) Because if you know your strengths, you know that you don't necessarily have to work hard at it. Mm -hmm. Some people will tell you you could strengthen your weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. Others will tell you leverage what you're already good at. Don't worry about that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's for yourself. But if you're an entrepreneur, business owner, manager, somebody that leads, Mm -hmm. you're going to want to know how to engage others. Because even if you emphasize on your strengths and don't care to improve your, your weaknesses, understanding how others interpret you and how you interpret them and how best to communicate between the two makes it for a much more functional environment and efficient way of communicating. It's interesting because uh, what you just said is that it encompasses all those, right? You can identify your strengths and play them. You can identify your weaknesses and grow them. could be very specific to a situation that you're in, right? You can identify this is a situation in which one of my weaknesses would be a great asset. So I need to figure out how to embrace that and pull it up. So for example, if you were a low S, you might say, it's really important that I be steady here. I need to find a way to encourage the S inside of me. Is that fair? Yes. And you'll do it naturally hmm. because the situation calls for it. So whenever, whenever, when it comes to this and you, and you take the test, usually there's a graph that comes with it. And each quadrant is measured on a scale from 1 to 100. Anything above uh, 50, you have easy access to it. Mm-hmm. In other words, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to work hard at it. It just, it just comes across easily. Well, anything below 50 doesn't mean you're not that. It just means you have to work a little harder to access it. So if you're dominant and you make decisions quickly and all, all that's happening, but you know, you're at school with your kid and they are in a vulnerable state, they, they injured themselves or something to that effect, you might need to emphasize vulnerability and compassion. Mm-hmm. So you have it. Some, some high D's will, be, will say, well, suck it up, man up. Mm-hmm. If you tap into the vulnerable aspect or the S side of, of things, actually all of them have vulnerability. But if you tap into the S side of it, you might respond differently. Mm-hmm. And it may challenge you and you'll be like gut-wrenching, like, oh, like if you had heartburn or something just to, to try to utter the words of how do you feel or what, I mean, because that's not your your go-to. Yeah. And so it'll fluctuate, but it, but it comes, it comes. Whereas like you pointed out my business partner, she's much more of a bunny. She'll go there first. Right. As we talked about, 
it's great to start to identify these things about yourself and others, because if you were both high dominance or, you know, as we said, both sort of a no nonsense, hold people accountable, you would probably compete a lot more in the way in which you communicate as opposed to being able to play off one another and be complimentary of one another. One of the things that you said just now is that this matrix, obviously it sounds like there's a variety of different personality traits and emotions and things that you'll rely on resource-wise that are existing in each of these four words Mm -hmm. that make up DISC. So just for the audience, as you're listening, it's a test that you take, it's a report that you get, it's incredibly robust because it not only says these are the percentages of which you exist in dominance, influence, steadiness, and compliance, but it's also these other, each one of them is consistent of personality traits and things. So it really does give you a more overall picture of your personality, how you're going to communicate, and it will serve you well, both in your own right and when you're dealing with others. Yes. And the report goes beyond that because it, it'll, it'll also report back where your priorities are as far as your values. And there's different domains of values, political, individualistic, altruistic, mm-hmm. like power, it gauges it. Yeah. Because based on your answers, you're going you're gonna to reveal certain things and it'll tell you you're high on this one, you're low on this one. And the value side of the report is more important than the disk side of the report because what you hold valuable will influence your decision-making more than how you show up in your current personalities because change the circumstances, emphasize something far more valuable, you may switch gears rather quickly. So let me ask you, does the test give you ways in which to grow from what you learn? So if you learn which ways in which your disc, your personality is arranged based on disc and the values and all those other things, part of the assessment and then the information you get is these are ways in which you might grow, change, learn. Well, not so much this is how you can grow, change, and learn as much as it is when dealing with a high S being Mm. a high D, here's what you need to be aware of. Here's what you could do instead of doing it the way you normally do it. Here's how they hear the message. This is how you're conveying the message. And so being aware of that then gives you the opportunity to, okay, am I going to approach it the way I normally approach it? Or am I going to shift so that they could hear it? The analogy that I like to use is if there was a foreigner that came from let's say Russia or something, what's the likeliness of them knowing what you're saying when you're speaking in English? Not very high. Mm -hmm. But if you took the time to learn a few Russian words, you stand a better chance of the message getting, getting across. So even though we both speak English, they know English in a different context than you do and communicating in such a way that your message gets across in the way that they listen, not Mm -hmm. in the way you listen. Yeah, because we all imply certain things, but across the aisle, somebody might infer something different. And so it's an opportunity to try to make sure that those things are aligned, right? If mm-hmm. if what I'm with my the intention I'm putting forth, you might change the way you say it based on how it might be received. And that's, I mean, that's really just worth its weight because so often we're trying to communicate with people that aren't identical to us. And it seems common based on our conversation, this is ubiquitous enough in the 
corporate training world and the business and entrepreneurship world where a lot of people have taken this. And when you start to talk about it, the person says, oh, I'm a high D or I'm a high S. And they're A, proud of it, but they're happy to share it. And the more knowledge you have about what that means to your communication pattern, to your interactions, the better off you are to achieve whatever goal you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. One, one of the other personality types that is extremely valuable to, to be aware of and, and learn is the five love languages. And using that, like if you're a person that loves gifts, your mm-hmm. chances are you're going to communicate your love through gifts. Right. But if the person that you're in relationship with enjoys quality time, no amount of gifts yeah. are, are going to make up for that time. They want your time. They don't want more items. And yeah. so not knowing that about the other person. So same thing with this. If they hear things a certain way, they respond a certain way, if they value certain things and you're not communicating with them based on their values and what they want out of life, you can't motivate people, mm-hmm. right? Despite there being a whole industry of motivation, you can't motivate them to do what you want them to do. You're going to motivate, you can emphasize things so that they do things based on what they want to do. Right. So you can't motivate them into action based on what you want. You have to motivate them in action based on what they want. And if you don't know what they want, uh, I, I, the way, the way I love to say that is you have to love the person the way they want to be loved. And that's why I think the five love languages was so popular. And it's another personality assessment because I mean, the other way to say it in, in a sales world, uh, Jorge, is somebody comes in to buy a new car and you love sports cars, right? And so you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we've got this shiny red convertible sports car. It's the most amazing thing on the planet. And you sell it to them and you convince them of all the wonderful things about it. And then they look at you and they go, oh, yeah, but I need a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how amazing that sports car is. It could be the most amazing sports mm-hmm. car, the best deal, the cheapest price ever, but they don't need a sports car. They need a pickup truck. So it sounds like basically the tenant with with these different assessment programs is kind of the more you know right the more prepared you can be the better off you are yeah definitely and there's all these little nuances in it like going to a poker table Mm -hmm. you have what they call it a tell right and the tell that they're that they look for is to see if you're lying or or telling the truth because based on how you're acting they need to uh, make a determination on how they're going to play the game. So most people, when they go to the poker table, they approach it by playing the cards. Mm-hmm. The pros play the individual. Right. Because they might have a completely crappy hand, but if they're able to bluff their way through or make enough of, a, of an effort to show that they have the better hand, and if the other person believes them, mm-hmm. they could win the hand even though they had the worst hand in the deck. Right. So we've been able to identify that these personality assessments have a real and applicable value. We've looked at it from a position of team building, right? If you're a leader or a business owner or an entrepreneur and you're working with a collaborative team, it's great for team building. We've talked about it in interpersonal relationships and we touched on the five love languages, right? If you're in interpersonal Mm -hmm. relationships, spouses, friends, there's a benefit there. We talked about how it relates to sales, right? The more we know about what that person wants and what they value, right? That's a, it's a very strong word that we've talked about was value. Mm-hmm. There has to be drawbacks. If there's no such thing as a free lunch, what are the drawbacks to 
to these personality assessments, what should we be on the lookout for when we take these tests? Well, I'll share the ones that come off the top of my head. And one of them is, is an inflated ego. Mm. Because the, the moment you understand yourself, it's like, oh my God, I, I, I'm, this all makes sense. The world is, is coming into alignment. This mm -hmm. is why I respond this way. And this is why I do that and all that. But then it could lead into, I know myself more than you do, which is usually true, but from an, a place of arrogance. Gotcha. You can use it for good and say, I know myself better. And that's a, and you can be benevolent about it. Or you can be like, I know myself better than you know yourself. And it could take kind of a darker turn. Yeah. So there's a joke in coaching that we reference a lot and there's always two sides to the coin, mm -hmm. but the joke goes, if one person calls you an ass, you know, you could ignore it. Mm -hmm. Two people call you an ass, you know, water off a duck's back, let it, let it go. Mm -hmm. If 10 people call you an ass, buy a saddle. <laughs> that is great. Because oftentimes people will be like, well, no, you, you know, that's just your opinion. Right. And, and you could easily dismiss that if you're dealing with one or two people. But if a huge amount of feedback is coming back that you're an ass, yeah. buy a saddle because you're an ass. Yeah. There's no way around it. You could be in denial of it and you could sure. kick and scream and fight over and whatnot. But collectively, people are now on the flip side. Mm -hmm. If you're on a mission and you're well aware of what you're doing, and it rubs people the wrong way, mm -hmm. do you have the fortitude to stand in the fire and see it through? Right. That's purpose-driven. That's vision-driven. That's not, I'm the best. I'm the me, 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 and look at me how awesome I am. Right. So we take a look at civil rights. Somebody had a vision. Something unfair was happening. It was not the popular. Right. But they had to stand in the fire. And quite frankly, uh, sometimes some of these things, the ultimate risk is your life. And that's, it's a really, really fine distinction between those two, Jorge, right? The, I'm going to stand up for what I think I am right about, even though everybody's telling me constructive feedback versus mm -hmm. this is a principle on which I must stand and will fight for. It's for some people and in, in certain situations that could be very, a very fine line. And I appreciate you pointing out the difference there because just because 10 people tell you you're not on the right course or you're not in the right fight or you're not headed in the right direction doesn't necessarily mean that they're hundred percent right. That's, so that's a really, really important distinction. What are the other drawbacks? What are the other things we should be aware of when we take these tests? It could take you down a, a, a rabbit hole mm -hmm. and put you in a, in a tailspin. Mm. So in other words, when you start seeing successes or you start seeing the patterns, it can mess with you more. So this, this is where the saying ignorance is bliss because when you don't know, you don't know. So you can't suffer mm. because you don't know. Right. But now that you know, oh, this is why I sabotage or this is what is limiting me. Damn, how do I fix it? Yep. And then every time it happens, oh, damn, I did it again. And so it could put you in a, in a, in a bit of a tailspin and put you worse than where you were at beforehand. The good news is that you could always get out of it. You just have to work a little harder. And I think that's something that you and Cassie crystallized for me at one point when you said, basically a solution to any problem produces another problem, which isn't a terrible thing because that's how we kind of get on a path towards growth. But it's, it is interesting to think, oh, I'm going to take this personality test. It's going to be so great. I'm going to understand so much more about who I am and how I can communicate with other people. And then you look at it and you read it and you think, 
oh man, look at all these things I have to fix or look at all these opportunities I have for improvement. You're right. I think temporarily you could feel sort of beat down, but ultimately if you can get back in the fight, you'll end up far further ahead than where you were. Yes. And then the, the third one that I'll touch on is knowing the information. Like some mm -hmm. people study it inside and out and they know that they know, like let's call them, let's say they become an expert. Sure. Well, now they're, they project their expertness on others on how they're right and you're wrong and destroy relationships. So it basically emboldens them to rather than just become knowledgeable to become sort of the self-righteous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, what word do I use to describe a person that is consistently more interested in telling you how right they are than just discoursing about things in general? That's, that is definitely something that could happen because you feel empowered and emboldened by the knowledge that you've just gained. And so rather than resting comfortably in it, or again, using it for good, it could go dark turn again and you become that self-righteous person that just loves to lecture everybody else on, on what you know is right. Yeah. Hmm. And I actually, I'm actually challenged with that because when it comes to the profession of coaching and holding people accountable, it comes easily for me for the most part. Mm -hmm. I can't do that in a personal relationship. I can't be my significant other's coach. Yeah. It, it will destroy it. And it's, and it's, challenging so once the bell has ran, rang you can't unsee what you, you what you now see yeah so even in relationship you, you're like but yeah you got to just keep it keep it to yourself it's, it's sort of like being a counselor or or anything else right being a coach you're in that situation i'm sure if you're a counselor your significant ever never wants to hear you say i don't know what do you think of that <laughs> they, they would probably lose it uh, because they don't want to feel like they're being therapized i'm sure that your significant other doesn't want to feel like you're coaching them per se even if it's good for them yeah and and and, and to be even more transparent than i'm already being my challenge is also in order to be be a, a good coach leader trainer you you strengthen your awareness, you strengthen your intuition. And that's something that, that be, starts becoming second nature. And when you know something is off, you know something's off. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you could necessarily compartmentalize or turn off. Sure. So it irks, especially, you know, when I know that it could be a different possibility, when I know that there's more to this or more to the person or there's bigger possibilities for them and they're making an argument for their limitations. Mm -hmm. And so navigating that conversation in a non coach manner, because I can, I can't tell you how many times potential girlfriends have turned around and be like, I'm not, I'm not your client. Don't coach me. There's a part of me that, that, that goes, into a lot of relationships and, and, and things. Well, if I was in their shoes, mm -hmm. and here's where, where, where I'm dropping the ball. I would want them to call it out on me and hold me and push me and so on and so forth. Yeah. That person may not want that. Yeah. You got to love them the way they want to be loved, Jorge. Yeah. So we'll, we'll take our own advice there. As much as I am great in coaching and providing, you know, uh, people's advancement, much like a doctor, you don't do surgery on yourself. And so, I, I get to have a, a, a coach as well. 
and you know snap me out of it <laughs> it's really hard to unlearn something that you spent your whole life getting better at and then sort of like you said turning it off uh, it doesn't it doesn't really work that way or easily anyway so i, I want to take one more look at the kind of what we laid out for the audience right these assessments for your personality have a very very valid use for both you internally as well as in your business and interpersonal dealings externally However, you've identified and, and well explained three ways in which they have to be very careful with them. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you want to share as a, a certified coach, as a consultant, somebody that basically prides themselves on holding people accountable? What's one more piece of advice that you might give them as far as reaching their goals, as far as making progress? I think more than ever right now, what people need is a little bit of hope, and a little bit of constructive education on things that they can employ in their life today. So I think I'd like to wrap the podcast by providing that. And I know that this is a little bit off script and, and you might need a minute to think about it, but <laughs> what is something that we can leave the audience with to make them feel like this is an actionable thing that I can do right now uh, and apply to my life? One of the major things that I run into when coaching people and when I first take people on a good number of them stop dreaming. Hmm. As little kids, we had dreams, mm -hmm. all kinds of dreams, a dream car, a dream house, a dream career, dream, dreams, and dreams that we could fly, that we could do. As adults, as we grow up and become adults, we, we learn pain, we learn disappointment, we learn rejection, we learn all sorts of different things, essentially telling us, no, you can't have it, sorry something less mm -hmm. so i would encourage people to revisit dreams and give themselves permission to dream once you establish what that dream is really have a a, a good honest heart-to-heart -heart talk with yourself mm -hmm. are you truly committed to this dream mm -hmm. because life is going to test you on whether you really want it or not mm -hmm. you can't say you want it you have to be committed to wanting it because that's what gets gets it to become a reality commitment. Not hope, wish, want, pray, none of that. Will you get up in the morning regardless of what time it is, regardless of how little sleep you got? Because that is what you said you were going to do, that consistency. If somebody had asked me what you would have said to that question, what's one sort of actionable thing that you would love to see people do and take away from this, focusing on dreams would have probably been at the back of my mind somewhere in the deep recesses that's something you would say, but I would have thought it would have been much more practical. And I absolutely love it because we talk about goals and smart goals and measuring goals. When you started talking and you said, when we were kids, we dream. Literally, I closed my eyes. And for a moment, I thought, man, I used to spin around out in the rain. I used to, you know, just frolic and not worry. I watched Frankie uh, eat something like a popsicle on a sunny day. And I think, oh man, to be the kid that just like eats something and it's sticky and it's all over her hands and shirt, not even care. That's where dreams are. That's where they live. They live in a place where you can sort of get outside the constraints. And so thank you, Jorge, for recommending that we take a minute from our tactical lives, close our eyes and just think of what are some dreams that I have? Have an honest conversation with yourself is this truly a dream? Is this something you really want? And then figuring out reverse engineering a way to get to that dream. 
That's a cool answer. Yeah, because it, all things are achievable and they may take time. And people get very excited in the very beginning. Oh my God, I'm going to go take a trip around that world. I always wanted to do it. And then the price tag of that might be 40000 Yeah. So you got to earn more than what you currently earn in order to maintain and put away for savings and then set a date and do all that other stuff. But if you're under the impression that that's the thing to do because everybody told you traveling is, is amazing, but down in your heart of hearts, you, you're a homebody. Yeah. <laughs> There's an inconsistency there. Yeah. So you got to really check in with yourself. Is this truly what I want? Or can it just remain a dream? And it's okay if it remains a dream, but there are some dreams that can become a, a reality. And it may look a little different than what you had originally thought. Like, for example, I love football. I'm 42 years old. I think my time is past. Yeah. But can I have a career in the NFL as a broadcaster, as an assistant coach, as an athletic trainer? Can I be out on the field contributing yeah. doing something versus whatever it is that I'm doing? And so restructuring and living a life by design, by your design. That's another great takeaway for the audience, Jorge, is football doesn't mean that you have to be a football player. I mean, maybe that was the dream when you were 15 mm -hmm. and on the football field playing in high school. As you get older, and maybe that doesn't equate to that exact path, I think a lot of people are like, well, I guess I'm never going to play football. They don't necessarily think about what else can I do with that love of football. And, you know, uh, my recent podcast title was Living a Life You Love, which I think is a great title, but I also love what you just said living a life by design, right? Mm -hmm. Being purposeful in creating the life that you want to live. Part of that is identifying what your dreams are and chasing them down with wild abandon. Yeah, there's two important days of your life. The two most important days of your life is the day you were born and the day you discover why you were put on this planet. Mm. It may have to do with your dream. It may just be a mission, something that you're passionate, passionate about, a, a calling, if you will. If you ignore it and don't seek it out, you might still have a good life. Just not to say it's going to uh, necessarily be horrible, but, but will you be fulfilled? Because mm -hmm. it is possible to ha have fulfillment and have financial freedom. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pick either or. Now, some people have a spectrum of things that they want. You may not have them all at the same time, but you can have them. We oftentimes live in a world where we're discouraged that those two things can exist in harmony, right? You can either have this or that. And I'm sure that's the case in some senses, but when you get to the level of looking at your whole life and to, to your point, the two most important days, the day you're born and the day you discover the reason why, mm -hmm. at that level, you shouldn't be making sacrifices you know you should be trying to have it all from a perspective of creating as you said a life by design i think that that goes back to your concept of dreams you can't live in that place you can't chase that without being a dreamer mm -hmm. i mean there's 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 sacrifices to be made but they, you don't experience them as a sacrifice because if it's not part of the dream you don't need it right you know we really unearthed, I think, some really great 
ideas that started with the want and the desire to know more about yourself personally and how you're going to interact with others. But at the highest level, we're talking about living a life by design, chasing dreams. So much of it is about improvement and bettering yourself and bettering the relationships and communication you have with others. So that's pretty neat. I think we've covered everything from the flight plan to the roadmap and, and how sort of people can better their lives. In all my interactions with you, you never cease to surprise me with how you frame things and how you provide inspiration, motivation, and education. Anything else you want to add before we do the lightning round? Okay. I got one for you, especially during these times with all that's happening with the economy and I'm going to give you the instructions and you're going to pause it at, at, at a particular point. Write a list of all the things you have to do in your day. And I'm not talking about the things you necessarily enjoy doing. So for example, I have to get up and make my bed. I have to pay taxes. I have to, you know, go to work for 10 hours. I have to, and just keep on going. Have to, have to, and just whatever that item is. All right. And you just keep on going. And once you have that entire list, repeat the list, go over the list add anything else into it, and then repeat the list all over again, recite it all over again. Do it four to five times until you feel the heaviness of that list, all right? Mm -hmm. So go ahead, pause, and then when you're complete, come back. Okay, now that you're back, you're gonna cross out the portion of have to, and you're gonna write in get to, and then go down the list again and repeat it over and over until you experience what it is to get to pay your taxes, what it is to get to make your bed in the morning. There's a huge energy shift between have to and get to. I think we talked about this before, Jorge, and what's funny is it, it was long enough ago where I don't remember going through the exercise or maybe we talked about it sort of succinctly and we didn't go through it. You, you gave a couple of examples and here's the interesting thing. When you said, I have to pay taxes, in my mind, I immediately thought that's wonderful because it means that you're making money, which means you can provide for your family, which means you probably have a roof over your head. How cool that you get to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. It's an unbelievable and immediate mind shift, right? I have to feed the dogs or feed the pets or whatever. How cool you have these these pets in your life that probably bring a great deal of joy and love and affection to your family and to your children. So I get to feed the dogs that I'm so fortunate to have. It's an immediate shift. It's an immediate shift and it's all in the languaging. It's where your focus and energy goes. It, it will magnify and, and, and amplify and grow. So if you're in a wonky kind of space where you don't want to do things, mm -hmm. It just makes it harder to go do them. Yep. And if you're going to do them anyways, you have a choice, kicking and screaming or excitement. Yep. That is such a perspective shift. And I think it's a great process that we can go through as, as a group, right? So they, they hopefully paused and wrote this out. But what a great way when you notice that you're in that space to take a quick time out, remind yourself to, to replace the word have to with get to for basically just an immediate perspective shift. You covered it all, man. When, is, when this exercise is done live, you don't yeah. jot anything down. You're verbally saying it. You're embodying it. You're, you know, screaming it off the top of your lungs. And you really get to that place of heaviness and, and just, ah, life sucks. Mm -hmm. But life doesn't suck. Nope. Your perspective doesn't. of life sucks. Mm -hmm. And you're in charge of that perspective.
yeah, only you can change that perspective. And this yeah. is a great exercise to, to basically bring about that shift. Jorge, I think that we covered everything from the highest of high level flight plan concepts all the way down to an exercise that people can literally go through on the podcast to impact their perspective and, and help it change for the better. So thank you for that. I wrap the podcast with a quick lightning round. Are you ready? Yes, let's go for it. Favorite sport to play? Football. Favorite sport to watch? Football. Favorite beverage? Ooh, I see. Favorite superhero? Deadpool. <laughs> He's hilarious. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Ooh, magic. Like Doctor Strange. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. My, my nephew would agree with you because he's by far and away his favorite character. At the moment, it changes frequently. Thank you, Jorge. I very much appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. I think we shared some really great inspiration, motivation, and education with the audience. And uh, I can say with a great deal of confidence that we're going to do this again about another topic, yeah? Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the People First in Profit podcast. If you liked this episode, and I'm pretty sure you did, subscribe, review, and share it with your friends, fans, and followers wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the show notes for additional information about this week's guest, as well as a list of all the links and resources we discussed. Be sure to visit peoplefirstinprofit.com for a ton of great content, free resources, and links to the People First in Profit community. All right, I'm Adam Wilmore, and on behalf of your host, Don Mamoni, we'll see you next week. Thank you.